Digital Gonzo, episode 124, recorded Sunday the 17th of March 2013, Tomb Raider. So much has happened. Our captain is injured. Have you heard from any of the others? Nothing. Our crew is scattered. I have a bad feeling about this. I've got to find them. We're hunted by the island's inhabitants. Up. Sam, listen, I'm going to get you out of there. You can do it, Laura. After all, you're a croft. I don't think I'm that kind of croft. Sure you are. You just don't know it yet. Let's do this. Sometimes you've got to make sacrifices, Lara. You can't save everyone. There's no other choice. I've got to do this. If I don't survive... None of us will. This episode is all about the 2013 game from Square Enix, but we will be touching on the earlier titles in this series. With me on this excavation are Matt Ramsey of Dorkcast. Hello. Sharon Shaw of Dorkcast. Good evening. Gonzo Planet staff writer David Merritt. Hello. Gonzo Planet webmaster Paul Gibson. Hello. And Jerome McIntosh of the Gonzo Planet community. Good day, day, sir. (laughs) (laughs) The first Lara Croft game, Tomb Raider, emerged on the Sega Saturn and Sony PlayStation in 1996. There have been how many people uh, further installments in the series, not including the anniversary? Oh, God. Seven or eight? It is eight. Eight further installments in the series. Hmm. Namely, two, three... Anybody else after two and three? Uh, Last Revelation. Correct. Chronicles. Correct. Uh, Angel of Darkness. Correct. Failed reboot, the Angel of Darkness. Next. Oh, God, that was a reboot. Uh, Legend. They were trying. Legend is the next one. Uh, Anniversary. Underworld. And then, yeah, Underworld. Underworld. Uh, Along with the 2007 anniversary remake of the original Tomb Raider and top-down dungeon crawler... Guardian. Guardian of Light. Guardian of Light, and not to mention two trashy movies and various comics. <laughs> Back in the day, Lara became an overnight success, billed as both cheap, shameful titillation for teenage gamers, I should say teenage gaming boys, and a strong female icon of empowerment. For those who played her games at any length, it became apparent that to get through them, you would need to possess a keen eye for detail, lateral thinking, and most of all, patience. These requirements often left newcomers cold to the series, and it became somewhat niche and iterative, never quite making the impact that it had with its first outing. In particular, the HD console generation that started in 2005 had, up to now, still not received a full AAA Tomb Raider title without the restriction of a PS2 port requirement. 
In 2007, the same year as the anniversary remake, Uncharted was released, blending elements of Lara Croft's Indiana Jones-style action treasure-hunting adventures with Gears of War shootouts. Though unarguably derivative, it effectively conveyed the Tomb Raider format in a more accessible way than all the previous installments for the Croft series. In particular, in regards to pacing and character building, both for the main protagonist and the supporting cast, any follow-ups for Lara were going to require a dramatic overhaul in order to keep up with her competitors. As of 2009, Square Enix carried out an $84 million takeover deal of IDOS, the long-time UK-based distributor of the Tomb Raider series. This secured a renewed effort to reboot the franchise with a noticeable and significant boost to production values, presentation, and a complete overhaul in the tone and narrative thrust. This is the first time that the production team have really gone back to the drawing board and redefined who Lara is, transforming her for a new generation. Unlike the James Bond and Batman reboot this was pitched as, they have fleshed her out to include texture that has simply not been there for the past 17 years, transforming a flawless Mary Sue superwoman into an inexperienced, frightened scholar suddenly forced to survive. Now I have 10 talking points for us to tackle and we'll start off with the most significant, which is Lara's reimagining. Now, I suppose first off, we have to ask who the old hands at the Tomb Raider games are. I've, I've played the first one an awful lot. I even recently replayed it. What's it like now, by today's standards? It's hard to comment accurately because nostalgia is such so powerful, but there's something really atmospheric about going through these really dead, silent, cavernous places. Um, mm. And so... I kind of would urge people to go back to it and play just those first four levels because after that it becomes too trial and error-y, too frustrating, and, then it, and it's far too long as well. But there's atmosphere there still, even though everything is very polygonal and awkward. The jumping drove me crazy on that one. I think the thing that was my sticking point that made it impossible to carry on was that if you did fall down a large mountain say that you've been climbing and somehow survive it because you fell into water you'd have to climb all the way up again that is unacceptable by today's standards well i played the first two on pc all right back when they came out and i played through legend at some point on the original xbox i played a bit of three uh sometime after it came out um i've played legend and underworld and some of anniversary. Well, I um, after finishing this game, I started getting the Tomb Raider hunger, and had um, you know Microsoft were doing Legend for like two pounds sixty nine for that week just before Tomb Raider came out. Yeah, I bought it. <laughs> had it been like that after Tomb Raider was out, I'd have snapped it up. Now it's gone back up to nineteen ninety nine. I, I watched some videos of it on YouTube just to remind myself what it was like to play them because I, I got into all three Xbox three sixty versions, but not very far. I was trying to work out what it was that made me stop playing them. And the difference between what we will now call A Survivor is Born, which is shorthand for the Tomb Raider 2013, and the older games is astonishing. When she crawls up onto a ledge and then alights it, she backflips like Legolas, like defying gravity. She like Imagine hanging by your hands from a ledge and somehow getting your your feet to flip back and up and over to get you on. And then you, she sort of stands up and does the sort of like star jump arms out like that. It's like she's not even human. Yeah, and the handstand off the ledge and all that yeah. sort of stuff as well. Yeah. She's able to backflip and leap about the place and somersault through the air with no... 
sense of that this is taking any kind of physical toll on her. And this never really bothered me before, but it, I, I do see now how I, it would uh, add to a certain lack of engagement with the character, because she is the dictionary definition of a Mary Sue. Nothing ever, ever really goes wrong for her, at least until the Angel of Darkness. Aside from the fact that she, you know, leaps out into space and then falls screaming like a pig in a wall onto the floor of all of these caverns over and over again, seemingly. Uh, th- this was a game where I was like, you know what, that was not my fault, and yet she's dead. Uh, Survivor is born. Every time I died, I thought that was actually my fault there. Sorry. I actually found myself apologising to her corpse. <laughs> okay. An interesting reaction. <laughs> okay. Um, right. So let's just look at look at how they've actually updated what was effectively a wafer thin plastic model. Well, for a start, she has eyes, which is going to sound like a really weird thing to say, but her her eyes actually have got some character in them, which is something that even in this generation I would say is fairly recent mm. for it to be consistent that someone's eyes look human and, and look like you know you can see the person there I mean um, uh, we were looking at the um, James Bond um, Bloodstone game yesterday yeah. Yeah. you look at the eyes in the characters in that one and they're like it, it, literally just these glass orbs that stare fixedly right past the shoulder of the person that they're talking to yeah. whereas with Survivor, you know, there's, there is eye contact between the people who are having conversations. You can almost see emotions like, you know, fear and anticipation and things like that. Like I said, it's a, it's a fairly rare and recent thing. It goes hand in hand with uh, filmmaking as well. They, they use performance capture in this, which is uh, twinned in with the uh, Image Movers digital stuff and a lot of Weta Workshop's work. They've used a lot of narrative form connected with film and TV to flesh out the story. It's less about the, the video gamey aspects and more about selling you a story in a digestible, easy to, easy to have find connotation with something that you're familiar with. But here's the thing. The Indiana Jones stuff seems like it's out the window. And after you play for a while, you realize that it doesn't have that kind of gung-ho, let's go in and find the treasure thing that even Uncharted has. The major film that they actually used as inspiration was 127 Hours, which is the Danny Boyle film about a mountain climber who ends up stuck in a crack with his arm wedged in between some fallen rocks and has to uh, pry himself free after 127 hours of uh, inhuman ordeal. It seems to be based on the premise of what would it be like if Lara was in... The real world, there's a certain amount of stylization, but they are far, far away from the sort of this. If you have you guys all seen the Angelina Jolie movies? Mm, yeah, I've first one. The first yeah. one. Yeah, okay. Yeah. They're, they're a perfect example of an unrealistic, stylized, ridiculous, unrelatable world that is entirely disposable. You go in, you switch your brain off, then you come out. Even Indiana Jones doesn't have that because it's drawing on on <clears throat> some more classical elements to it, and you care about Indy. You don't care about anything that happens in the Tomb Raider movies. I think Neil likes at least one of them. Uh, he, he, I'm sure he would admit that they're quite shabby. I think one thing that's particular about the um, the image of Lara um, in this one is the clothes. I mean, that was something that they 
they very the, the writers very specifically set out to make what, what was it a, a woman who looks like she dressed herself yeah Rihanna Pratchett mentioned mm. that on the radio yeah the fact that they've made this an origin story for her and they she's literally fresh out of university this is her first expedition and she's filled with doubts she's not quite sure whether what she's decided on is the best course of action but she she has to present herself as this confident um, explorer because she's got the weight of her father's reputation on her shoulders as well mm. and one of the things that I love from the very beginning of the game Laura's stranded by herself she's found the radio and the first thing she says to Roth when she's got in contact with him is come get me at the start of this she's not ready for this situation she's very much how anybody fresh out in university would act in that sort of situation mm. just wanting someone to come and rescue them she has been very sheltered. There's a, there's a lot that ties this in with... Uh, who else has played Far Cry 3 to completion? Yeah. Uh, yep. The premise of being uh, suddenly stuck on an island where you're completely out of your depth and you've come from a very civilised, sheltered world and you're suddenly forced to survive is put through in the same way. But it doesn't seem to really prey on Jason in uh, Far Cry 3 anywhere near as much as it does for Laura. It's not portrayed in a, a serious manner in Far Cry 3. It, it seems more like they're saying, look, this is you, this guy's tripping balls at this point. <laughs> this could all be just in his head. And there's the feeling that the whole thing's a, a, an acid trip and there's less weight to it. Uh, the, the further and further you get into the game, the, the further you uh, find yourself removed from your friends. But in Tomb Raider... It seems like those are the last uh, fragments of the life she used to know, and so she's trying desperately to cling on to them. Maybe part of it is that Lara Croft before was such a toy, she was so unreal, that they kind of had to go sort of quite extreme. Yeah. So just just to get distance from that franchise, because what there were eight games yeah. before this, that's, that's so much to... So much legacy, so to reboot it, to start her off young, to maybe to focus on the aspects of her vulnerability in the opening. Yeah. It's a gateway for them to reinvent the character uh, without it sort of causing too many problems with other people. So that way people can just draw a line under the old ones and say, that was when she was a weird, back-flipping person that tried to kill everything that she saw. Yeah. The opening section is actually an exercise in um, drawing your character into a new world. It's the strongest section of the game, so the first uh, four hours. Really? Uh, the first hour is very interesting, but it's the hour where it struggles. I think it builds from that point. Uh, basically, up to the point where she gets to the shanty town, I actually thought was extremely skillfully handled. And then there's a, uh, an uneasy midsection at the end. It's less about the narrative and more about the, the sheer flow of the gameplay and the combat mm. as she's finally found her footing. It's almost like there's a, a, a difficulty curve for Lara herself to hit I'm sure I could probably have helped things by um, using her experience on her killing abilities but to me I was actually role playing it that killing shouldn't come easily and I would rather she was clumsy at first so I was focusing mostly on her survival and scavenging abilities uh, which I, th I think actually kind of works and plays in with that but I ended up having a hard time in the middle where I was called upon to be much more deadly in combat than I actually was able to be one of the smart things that the, the developers did with the extras is, I don't know if you've seen this, but they actually have three or four different character models of Lara, where it goes from Lara stranded, 
mm. Lara Survivor, or if then Lara Croft. It's the same model, but what she's been through, you can see in the... Um, in the way she holds herself. Yeah, in yeah. the representation and the poses, how, how much she's been through. And it's very well portrayed how much she evolved from this specific experience. In terms of plot, I actually don't think we should really give away major plot strands because I don't actually think it's, it's particularly crucial to what we're discussing. Take it as read that if you're listening now, that we won't spoil anything, that you would go, oh, for God's sake... There was, and there is, a point where, with her bow on her back, while she's crawling through some vents, she actually had the gait of a spider. And I think that's when I started to think, that oh, she's really hit her stride at this point. She's becoming a predator of sorts. The, the fact that the bow's got these sort of, almost like these two giant mechanical legs, you know, sticking out on either side of her body and placing her hands where they need to be, and she's moving with purpose and confidence. Notably, traversing islands on zip lines and shimmying up and down ropes and eventually propelling herself at great speed. This is her web. This is this is a transformative game and there are many, many birth metaphors throughout. Definitely. <laughs> it's interesting that they've used those methods, actually, the the uh, variation on the character models and the differences in the way um, she moves and, and the experience with which she's doing what she does. Because I, I would honestly say that that all came across to me in the way I was playing it, mm. but it didn't really occur to me that that was why it was coming across to me that way. It, it was really, really absorbing. That was one thing that really struck me about it when I was playing it. I, I wasn't constantly conscious that I was playing a game and I had to sort of trick it to do certain things. I was just very much in the character and playing through the story. There is a regular complaint about this uh, game that it is far too much like Uncharted, which is... A, an unfair comparison because it came first and Uncharted copied it. And B, actually when you get into it and start really playing it, not all that valid. It's kind of a surface accusation. Uncharted always felt like a series of corridors for me. They're twisty and windy, but you have a, a racing line to get around and there is no real variation on that. There's a little bit of straying off the uh, path to, you know, just go into nooks and crannies and there'll be some treasures in there, but the treasures have no bearing on the actual adventure itself and there's no real emphasis on exploration. There are a lot more large, open, not like sandbox, but definitely more open world level sections in this game, specifically the forest sections where I, I found that you had to get to a certain place, but if you wandered off the beaten track, you could find all kinds of stuff. And it's a Metroidvania game, which is, was carefully hidden, which allows you to then go back to previous sections, especially with the, the bow upgrades repeatedly, and you can start pulling open larger, heavier doors with it. Yeah, uh, to me, Arkham Asylum would yeah. be one of the better comparisons. Yeah, yeah. but there are clear it? Uncharted influences. Oh, absolutely, in, in yeah. the corridor bits, more in the linking sections between the open areas. You know, running away from collapsing buildings and. Comparisons are absolutely valid, but passing it off as just an Uncharted clown is being oh. far too dismissive. Yeah, it's a massive disservice to it. Yeah. Mm, definitely. Mm-hmm. The um, Arkham Asylum comparison was one I, one I was about to make. It's uh, yeah. Which in turn was obviously influenced by Metrovania. The, um, what I was worried about before I played this is that both Metroid and Castlevania and Batman are all... St- more fantastical worlds so getting these upgrades that are very the very sort of gamey you've got the ice beam or you've got this one of batman's particular gadgets which allows him to do 
certain thing. I was wondering how well they would manage to make this world feel real, mm. especially considering the aspects of the story, but still allow these sort of gated upgrades. And I, I don't see how at any one point she decide, right, from now on, napalm arrows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For me, it actually worked, though. It was something I was worried about, but it, I, yeah. I never had any... I did think, wow, that I, w- I want to know who's been wrapping rope around all these doors. But... <laughs> <laughs> I did notice actually um there was there was one um element to the the backgrounds that did seem to have a, a logical progression through it and that was the white paint that was daubed over everything you know where you you yeah. see where you're going because there's things splattered with white paint but if you look at um at, at some of the the central characters um in the bad guy camp they actually had white paint spattered on their clothes almost as if they'd dotted that around the island so they would know where they were going. There have been allegations, possibly very valid ones, of narrative dissonance, which is another way of saying Lara does one thing and says another. That I had a hump to get over while I was playing it to begin with, asking myself, okay, right, I've crept through this first opening section and the, the first genuine kill you have to go through shakes Lara to her very core. Uh, that was fantastically handled. Mm. It's it's not just uh, dismissed, and it's not, it's not just um, something that's like, oh yeah, that that happened. You killed someone. Now kill six more people, but you then have to kill hundreds more, and the- it, it seems like that would start to have a toll on Lara. You say that, but in the first scene, where with the first kill, mm-hmm. pretty much immediately after that, four or five people charge out of a room yeah. towards you, and you. You, what do you do? Kill them or run away? Yeah, and you pretty much have to kill them to advance. So it's you go from oh no, I've done this terrible thing to well, I've kind of got to. <laughs> yeah, guns in my hand, unquestioning self-defense. Mm. I I would say that a that does seem almost logical even in context of the narrative because yes, that one, the first one, mm. was incredibly difficult, um, and that is portrayed extremely sensitively and extremely well. After that, like Paul says, you've got people bearing down on you trying to kill you. It does actually seem pretty logical that having got over the huge hump of killing one person, the several smaller humps in front of you are going to be a lot easier to just step over. Um, Also, there is, again, without putting any spoilers to it, there is a scene further on that I thought did communicate the impact that that was having quite effectively yeah you're going to have to tell us Sharon we'll cut this bit out uh, it's the bit in the ship where she stops in a room and looks in the mirror yeah yes. okay yeah no that's not a spoiler that's that's fine that or the apocalypse now moment yeah the yes. uh, apocalypse yeah, now slash true. the descent moment yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a couple of other touchstones to the descent not least just the actual the clambering down cl- falling yeah <laughs> climbing axes the climbing axe yeah definitely yeah. Um, and I'm not sure if it's in the descent but when the uh, this might need to be cut out, but when you fall in the blood, yep. Uh, again, birth metaphors. No, no, um, that's that's exactly the the point that I was thinking of when I thought mm. the biggest birth metaphor is her coming out of that blood, absolutely ready to to take bloody revenge on these guys. But that's what I was saying with the apocalypse now. Yeah, coming up out of the mud. Yeah. it was a double double uh, yeah. reference point. Yeah. <laughs> And that's kind of the, the opposite of the scene with the mirror, because that's her becoming 
more inhuman, if you like, and more, you know, capable of, of dealing with whatever is thrown at her because she's detached herself slightly from her humanity in order to not die. To a degree, she's becoming a natural predator at that point. Yeah, yeah which, and I think yeah. that's, I really liked what you said about the spider as well, because that, that yeah. element of, of predatory behaviour, mm. um, I mean, particularly the, given that the, the way I played, I mean, you, you know how I feel about run and gun. I, I can't do it. So I did an awful lot of hanging back and picking them off with bows and arrows from a distance. Yeah. Um, so I very much had that feeling about the way I was playing the game. Spiders don't tend to go barging in when there's a bumblebee stuck in their web. They wait for a bit for it to get tired. They definitely want you to use the bow. I think it's it's part of making it feel very primal. As somehow it seems less ridiculous her her going through this thing using a bow than if she was using an MP5 or some yeah. like ridiculous. Although you do get access to guns. This transformation seems to make more sense if it is all kind of basic and locked down. And as natural as possible, mm. like the last third of Predator. Well, the, yeah. the essential focus on the things that she starts off with mm. are that they're not weapons of war, they are tools. There's the, mm. the She's got the climbing axe and she's got the bow and arrows, which are essentially there for purposes of eating. The, the first thing she needs to use it for is food. It's only the the development from that that makes those things weapons. I actually think we could have gotten through the whole game with only those if there had been no actual firearms on the island, if the, uh, the the cultists eschewed them and just threw them overboard off the, the ships, so you had to just use bows and arrows, and so did they. That would, I would have been fine with that. Actually, I, I really loved the rifle by the, the, the time I upgraded it, but uh, I, I think it actually would have been... Um, quite symbolic to to steer clear of all kinds of civilised modern day weapons. That would have fit as well because depending on how long they've been there where are they getting their ammo from? Yeah, there's a rather large amount of ammo dotted all over the place and you know, carefully arranged arrows. <laughs> there's also the fact that most of those guns she picked up because she found them lying around, yeah. uh, they wouldn't yeah. work. Yeah, They simply <laughs> wouldn't work. Guns need to be looked after otherwise they would simply um, seize up. Uh, I mean, I think she found one of them just lying around in a room somewhere. It had been there for ages, and uh, that that wouldn't have worked. To correspond with the idea that um, she's killing these thousands of men, Matt, was it you who said that uh, you consider the killings in Uncharted are more symbolic? He's actually only killing about 20 guys, but oh, they just uh, they, they stack that many people against you just so that it's more of a uh, yeah, it was, more it was of a kind prolonged of, experience. Yeah, it was kind of a way I rationalised it. It was like, uh, you know, the... When you when you tell a story to, to your friends, every time yeah. you tell it, well, there were like fifty guys, all a little bit bigger. Yeah, you, yeah. You should have seen the other four. You should have seen the other ten. <laughs> you were laying waste to entire villages of, of people. In, in I this, took out this about seventy five. Impressive fight, and and it kind of just because of the sheer amount of people you have to gun down in, in Uncharted, uh, I kind of justified that in my mind as it being yeah like a symbolic rather than uh, an actual direct number of, of people that he was he was killing so i think the cultists had to do a certain amount of terrible things to the people that she cared about for me suddenly to go you know what these guys are going down i, I have no yeah. compunction about killing i reached that point as well that's thing if you think about with each encounter it's normally only about five or six people in a class it's only until later on when you've gotten to the point where you know what forget these guys They've they've wronged me. They've wronged my friends. I'm taking them out. Mm. I think that when they start to ramp up the amount of people, 
That does add depth and realism to the storyline, though, because if if you look at, at you know, the average video game narrative that does yeah. involve having to kill a lot of people, there's never really any doubt that that is what you're going to do. Yeah. Whereas with this, the first maybe third of it, it's actually about getting away. It's about finding mm. a way to escape and, you know, leave all of this behind. But as you say, there is a very definite turning point where it's uh, uh, no, we're going back in there and we are dealing with this shit. There are a few points where you can actually avoid the combat. You can literally sneak around the actual encounter so you yeah. don't have to engage them. It's Why would you not do that? You get experience. <laughs> <laughs> there also, you go. And that's where it falls down misleading. because you actually seek out combat at that point. Yeah. There, there are elements, though, of, of that. It, it messed me up a couple of times because there were some people in a certain area that I actually found I could sneak past. Yeah. And then there was a, a knot of about three of them in a very specific place. And it, But it's like a, they're almost like gatekeepers for something. <laughs> you can't sneak past them. You have to fight them. I tried sneaking past those bastards a dozen different ways and I couldn't do it. Fortunately, they're all clustered around a big red barrel. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what's in these things. Salsa? I love me some salsa. Actually, Explosive the, salsa. The other game that it reminded me a lot of, especially during the shantytown section in the middle, which I found a bit of a pain, was Resident Evil 4, which was a weird callback, because that game's been out for yonks. It's, been, it's like seven or eight years old now. The people sliding of, down ropes towards you. Yeah, and the people the dynamite. Yeah, enemy management thing. Like you've got like various different types of characters, and the uh, the the guys in Resident Evil Four would flush you out from uh, from your positions with with dynamite, and you'd have to adopt different tactics. Which is it's less so with Uncharted. That was more about how much body armor they've got and what guns they're they're wielding. By today's standards, the um, combat in Resident Evil 4 is really unwieldy. In comparison, I went back to Mass Effect 2 after this and thought, i got to press a button just to take cover. <laughs> you have to use your hands? That's like a baby's toy. What, what century are we in? <laughs> uh, that's, the way they did the cover for this game is very good because the fact that she is copied as soon as possible. Sorry. The fact that she she actually scrambles towards cover and yeah. they mix up the animations adds that bit of urgency. Yeah. Uh, for those who haven't played it yet, uh, you approach some sandbags or something, Lara will automatically hunker down. And she won't necessarily hug it, but people will not be able to see her over it. So there is a sense that she's actually using it without this kind of hold A to stick to it, let go, you know, tap A again to get back off it, which always feels very gamey. It actually makes it feel less gamey that she does this bit of thinking for herself. And also the, uh, the, the combat in Uncharted has always felt, especially in the first one, Okay, you can shoot this guy six times in the chest with an AK-47, and he's just wearing a thin cloth shirt, and he'll go, boom, 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 boom. Okay, I'm now going to take aim again at you. It's like, wait a second, go down now. I, I suppose it, yeah, you can get a, um, a, a headshot. Their, their invisible energy bar goes down much quicker. In Tomb Raider, get them in the eye with an arrow, down straight away. Plus you get extra XP, which encourages you to manage the fights in a way that maximizes your points, rather than just chewing through them like a lot of the firefights in Uncharted. There's a lot less faffing about in Tomb Raider. It's, it, it, it encourages you to take your shots. The bow is not easy to use. It's harder to use. It's, to a degree, less deadly than some of the other guns. If you fire it in a panic, you may as well just throw dust at someone, because that arrow's not doing any real damage. 
I mean, I'd assume all of us found ourselves using it more than any of the other guns. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I got kind of annoyed when they made me use a gun. <laughs> yeah. I did start using pistols later on in the game, but there's something about the elegance of uh, just being able to get it done that silently, that quickly, with no fuss, no muss, no possible explosives unless you want it to, and being able to sort of you know make it a fire arrow if you want it to. It's it's. I think yeah, yeah my favourite bow of many recent games involving bows, <laughs> including Far Cry Three. I think they kind of need to ease back on the bow after after this, though, because it's been not only the year of the bow, the two-year of the bow. Well, the thing with the bow in this game, it's the, the only weapon that will do more than one thing. Everything yes. else, the pistol is a pistol, and the, you can get a silencer for it, but yeah. it's still just a pistol that will fire. Well, no, the shotgun will open certain doors, and the, the uh, axe can be used as a crank sometimes. Yeah, but I mean, I'm talking specifically in combat here. Whereas yeah. the, the the bow, you can you can use it to take to distract um, someone and and separate them up, and then you can take someone out with a uh, just a, a normal arrow silently. You can take them out with a, a grenade arrow or with a, a napalm arrow or whatever you want to do, or even with a rope arrow. I was going to say, you could you guys yank them off the edge? Much? I didn't know you could do that until after I finished. <laughs> I had not got <laughs> yeah, that. Exactly. Uh, that Likewise, I never yeah. found that out. I know. Now I have yeah. to play it again. I, I, I <laughs> yanked several guys along, but and near to the edge, and shot them like with this one guy. I shot with four arrows, and, and he never quite fell over the edge. And eventually, I, I yanked him off the edge, but he fell onto a slightly lower platform. I saw it, shot him in the face. I was more the perpetual arrow to the knee sort of person. Yeah, <laughs> which takes yeah. Me yeah. I used to be a crazy guy with bottles uh, <laughs> of liquor, and then I took an arrow in the knee. Carry on, Matt. Sorry. Uh, well, it was just the fact that because you can do so much more with a bow, it's it's kind of the the go-to weapon whenever you enter yeah. a new area. For me, it was always the, the the thing I would equip by default because I didn't know what I'd, I'd be coming up against, and it would give you the most options. So it was always just there and ready, and then you can just select whichever particular uh, type of arrow, whatever it is that you that you want. Mm. Whereas everything else was just just had that one function, which was basically just firing bullets. As you say, the, the shotgun you could use for um, opening certain doors, but that was more as a tool yeah. uh, and so that the bow just was so much more useful than anything else and uh, it was fantastic to use difficult but very rewarding I really did get a lot out of that uh, default use of the bow approach because it's if you if you went into a new area it, it almost felt like that was the most sensible thing to have in your hand because you don't know what's coming around the corner you mm. might need to shoot somebody in the face but you don't want to make a racket when you do but so. exactly once you've discharged a firearm that's it they're all coming down on you and there Whereas, is no oh must just have been the wind with Tomb Raider once no, the guys are alerted <laughs> they're going to keep hunting you absolutely but that's that's another thing that I really really uh, appreciated about the the design of the the game though because they're once they've heard you and they know you're there they keep looking they don't just walk around in a circle and then go back to what they were doing before and i i exploited that on more than one occasion where i i triggered off more people than was really sensible and i just went and found somewhere to hide and sat there with a shotgun and shotgunned them all in the face as they came through the door. I ended up with quite a stack of about ten guys. That's <laughs> my nine friends. I better they're, run in and see what's in there. They're in the doorway. Am I actually going to have to climb over them to get out of here? But They didn't strike me as the most intelligent enemies, but neither were they the dumbest. They were, they were immensely paranoid, and paranoid people tend not to let things slip through. 
But unlike in Uncharted, specifically Uncharted 3 really got me down with this. Um, I got through Uncharted 1, although Uncharted 2 improved on the combat, and then 3 seemed to be slipping backwards into it. Uh, there was a scenario when I found myself up against guys with um, AK-47s, and then guys with shotguns who could kill you in one shot and were wearing body armor, and then you're being sniped at the same time, which seems really unfair, and fighting just became this horrible, desperate struggle to find the right kind of cover, and it drained all the fun and indeed pace out of the game. I'm sure that wasn't their intention. And there's been plenty of people, Mike included, who actually found it more fun as a result. But with Tomb Raider, I, I found that while I did still feel desperate, I also felt capable enough, especially near the end, when when you have to engage in brawling, they, they've pitched it just right where you can inflict sort of uh, minor damage on them enough and then finish them off as long as you've got enough time and space to focus. And you have to keep swinging the camera around so that you can actually see what's going on around you. I don't think I remember uh, Nathan Drake killing people that he's he's fighting with his bare hands. He snuck up on people and broken their necks, but Lara is most definitely fighting for her life at this point. And then, he caves foreheads in with rocks. It's, it, it's very down and dirty and very uh, visceral. Well, what I found with that was the, the earlier, um, the earlier part of the game, you, when you're, you're, you're going through various places, and whenever you do have to fight, it's generally because you've been caught. It's not like you've just got to go through this wave of enemies. You're, you're just going along, and in the story, you get caught. And I always found that to be quite a, a panicked struggle, if you like. It was always, I was always right on the edge of just dying for that early part of the game, which, you don't really get in Uncharted. Uncharted, you go, as the obvious comparison, you go wading in there quite happily intending to, to massacre these people. Mm. Uh, which is, I did have a problem with that a bit later. I think you said about the shanty town. You get to that and it is a little, it's very much like the Uncharted set pieces. Because wave after so wave of guys on yeah, different one levels, swinging down zip lines towards you. One particular bit, you're sort of quite high up in the, sort of in the middle of that, that section and there's just people coming at you there's yeah. by the river and there's just loads and loads of people and you, it's like a good five minutes. You're just killing people left, right and centre. Uh, and, and as it got to that point, I, I was kind of a bit disconnected from it. But up, pretty much up until then, everything seemed to fit pretty well mm. with the situation. It was always a case of, oh shit, and swing wildly and, and fire just to try and stop people you know, swarming you. So I think it was it was it was handled very well in in terms of who the character who the character was at that point and and the situation she was in. Mm. Uh, certainly for the, the majority of the first half of the game. Uh, I think what I ended up finding good about the especially the opening is that it was a bit like Die Hard. It was, you kept seeing her thrust into all of these horrible situations, mm-hmm. but they just managed to not go too far. It was. It was it was enough to really set in that this place was dangerous and that she'd keep needing needing to overcome. It lent the fights. Some of them did go on too long, and I think the shanty town perhaps was probably the low point of the game. But it, it left everything feeling quite cumulative and permanent, like it was actually having an effect on her. Apart, yeah. Partly just because you see her get gradually dishevelled throughout. I mean, it's been done in other games before, in Prince of Persia: Sands of Time and Arkham Asylum, uh, but it. It really works. Just the fact that you see her shirt get tore up and bloody, and but they don't pander. They don't sort of. They don't. She doesn't get more cleavagey, which is good. Mm. But you do get this sense that everything's got quite mucky and bloody, and she's in pain. And and there's there's an injury that she sustains at the start, and then she seems to go for a long time, and then she just sort of trips over, and then she like clenches that 
wound that she got ages ago, and that's because yeah, that's still bothering her. The, yeah, the the first third of the game, she uh, she gets she pierces her abdomen on a spike. For the first um, few hours, she gets hurt over and over again. And I think this is where the uh, the, the leveling of torture porn came in, and some of the early. Uh, promotion of it implied that she was uh, threatened with rape in the earlier section of the game. This is from Idos and Square Enix themselves, which they kind of backpedaled on. And Rihanna Pratchett herself was was uh, uh, adamant that that was not the case. Because there's a slightly seedy, salacious, I spit on your grave side of the game that could be interpreted. And people on Twitter were really annoying you, Sharon, who had not played the game at all. We're there telling was, you how it was. Yeah, there was one particular person who I'd, I'd mentioned that I was playing it, and um, somebody sent me a message saying, have you got to the, um, oh, does it look like uh, torture porn yet? And I went, no, but then I've only been playing it for about half an hour, and the response was, brace yourself, I've seen some GIFs. Uh-huh. Okay, so you haven't actually played the game. You've seen a handful of stills, and from that, you have deduced torture porn. Yeah. Sigh. It's it's not though. Well, for a start, uh, there, there is a debate that torture porn even exists. There are certainly some really grotty movies that that, that seem to to delight in that. But those movies don't tend to be written by an intelligent, strong female writer. I think I, I kind of get what they may possibly And then Evil Dead comes driving. out and Diablo Cody proves me wrong. So I'll carry on. Indeed. No, the, there are, there are um, quite a few um, uh, death scenes, specifically, yeah. particularly. I did say she dies on a spike quite a lot. Yeah. That, that mm. happens There was a bit, a bit where uh, she got impaled on a guy's spear, and then he, impa- he put the spear in the ground just to leave her sort of hanging up like Vlad the Impaler. And I went, almost sexual, isn't it, Smithers? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I was just going to say, in context of what's actually happening at the time, it does sort of make sense, and she does die in other ways as well. It's just that the kind of game that it is, scenes of violent death of which impalement is one of the most efficient, let's face it, are, are likely. You know, if they had scenes where she just died of hypothermia all the time, yeah. it would get very boring. It's an island absolutely covered in pointy edges. And, and she's things mo- that want to kill you. And she's moving at speed. It's going to happen eventually. Yes. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, no excuses. There were a certain few times that I was like, oh, come on, that was a bit... Well, at the same time, I, I felt that, that her pain was palpable. And like I said, I apologised to her. I didn't want horrible things to happen to her, as opposed to the earlier Tomb Raiders, where I would purposefully throw myself off the ledge when I got sick of it, just to hear her scream. Yeah, let's make no mistake. She does get jacked up yeah. quite a bit, but... you. It's in context, it makes sense. Mm. Also, torture porn implies that it has no artistic merit and causes sexual thought, which isn't necessarily... No, there was no sexual thought going on there at all. (laughs) I think there is the the, the one scene that was referred to in in terms of there being some implication of of sexual assault being involved. It's not really like that. It's, It's a very tiny hint and it's I think in that context it's more to do with the fact that she is being physically intimidated by somebody who is bigger than her and using that fact to uh, to threaten her and she feels absolutely terrified but you see it from her point of view um, and it's more about her being trapped she's got this big guy in front of her he's got his hand around her throat she's got a wall to her back there is nowhere to go except through him mm. and I actually really quite liked the way they did that 
Yeah. I think were she not well so so well written, and if the context wasn't there, you could accuse the game of having a sort of somewhat seedy use of um, violence against women or Lara. But in context, it's absolutely fine mm. and perfectly valid. I'm going to make a call on this though. If we want to have females represented in video games as equals with the males who are represented in video games, we are going to have to accept the fact that violent things are going to happen to them. You can't have it both ways. If it's an action game, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one one of the biggest problems, it it was the marketing that they put out there. And because of... Because the opening video that they showed at all the conventions was her being threatened, falling down and getting impaled. Everybody just assumed, oh, this is the whole game. This is all that happens. They've got this sadistic thing about hurting her. You're not trying to spike her on a branch. You're trying to stop her from being spiked on a branch. You can't carry on playing if she keeps getting spiked on a branch. It's boring. But yeah, the the, the writing uh, by Rihanna Pratchett, who I uh, complimented several times on Twitter uh, about the time I started playing it, and she actually responded and said, thank you very much. There was one or two almost throwaway lines in there that uh, were patently written with some form of agenda in mind, which I am wholeheartedly behind. The one that stuck out for me was, uh, and I'm, I'm misquoting here, but she's looking at some history of a particularly powerful woman, and she says something along the lines of, a woman has that much power, it won't be too long before people start shouting witchcraft. Mm. Yeah. A man has that much power for long enough, he develops a following. A woman does, and she instills paranoia in the locals. So that that was nice. They, 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 she didn't belabor her point. It was just there. If you noticed it, great. If not, you're not going to lose anything serious in the game. But it'll be a seed planted in your head if, if it's done its job. The other thing about the, uh, the portrayal of uh, female people... Female people. <laughs> I'm going to say that again. Otherwise known as women. <laughs> <laughs> or possibly potentates of the Mushroom Kingdom. <laughs> um, the uh, the other thing about the portrayal of, of women in the game is that it's not just Lara. There are there is a variety of of women in the game, and they're all slightly different. And it's not a case of you know here's this one type of girl. That's what you get. Yeah. It's they're they're people, and they behave in ways that you would expect people to behave except occasionally for Sam who I wanted to slap sometimes By and but Ray's was really good now it's unfair to constantly compare it to Uncharted but ultimately let's just compare it within the actual game Lara is a very very um, tangible character who felt real when she was trying to build a fire and she was getting cold and I was just like rub your arms for god's sake no rub your chest your arms will take care of themselves um, I actually felt for her the rest of the characters, when they turned up, I was like, right, she's going to get kidnapped, he's going to get killed. <laughs> and the, 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 some of the best fleshing out actually happened when you read the audio diaries. Mm, that was uh, really good. You get some, there's the, uh, the, whole, the, the, the whole parenthood thing in there, uh, which I won't spoil for the people who haven't played it yet, but that's, it's not so much a secret, but it's a subtext of a couple of the characters. And if you didn't listen to the audio diaries, you wouldn't actually know what's motivating these guys. Yeah. And that's well done. Well, they're not audio diaries. They're just 
they're just diary entries. Sorry, yes, they're just written diary entries. One of which is, of course, I plan to betray the entire team. Ha yeah. ha 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 ha. Let's, let's Why be would he realistic. write ha 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 when it comes to that character? Who would write that down? It's totally incriminating. <laughs> you might as well just have written Kurt. No. <laughs> we'll tie her to the railway tracks and twirl my moustache. The phrase kept coming up, cursed your inevitable, your sudden, inevitable <laughs> betrayal. <laughs> Every single time. Having said that, I like the fact that Laura was onto him straight away. Yeah. She smelled a rat, same as us. There is nothing worse than smelling a rat as an audience and going, why can't you say this guy's dodgy? <laughs> to your lead character. No, she was totally onto him and there was the, it wasn't like a big reveal. And ultimately his motivations did sort of hold water with the character that he was. I just love the fact that they used the collectibles to flesh out different characters, different aspects of the narrative that just aren't apparent straight away. Yeah. yeah. I will say, nice to have British characters that weren't <laughs> exclusively from south of the Watford Gap as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, there's Laura at some point say, you northern bastard. Yes. 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 She Uh, did sound like the product of an extremely posh girls' boarding school. Which she is. Well, I was going to say, there's going to be a fraction of the audience that would even understand this, but I kept thinking, she went to Trebizond, didn't she? Is that like an Enid Blyton thing? Yeah. It's (laughs) not Enid Blyton, but it's it's an 80s girls' boarding school saga. Okay. Uh, they've actually they've changed uh, Laura Croft's history several times. You know, sometimes she uh, crashed in a plane with the, as a young girl with her mother. Her mother died or disappeared, and sometimes she crashed with both her parents. But at the moment, they've retconned it to this, and this is the new Laura Croft as they mean to go on. And I believe they could actually keep this version of her going for a long time before they reboot again. There's definitely a foundation here. And unlike Nathan Drake, again, to draw this comparison, Nathan has a little bit of personal stuff to go through, some relationship stuff, and in uh, Uncharted 3 he has some personal stuff, but nothing as transformative as this. That's probably got more to do with the the time in Drake's life that you encounter him and largely stick with him, though. I mean, the um, that's true. Yeah. There's a bit in uh, Uncharted <laughs> Three where you do go back and see some of his more formative experiences, and I think the tone, although it's not the same, there are similarities, and yeah. it does become an awful lot more serious at those points. <laughs> Hands up, who thinks that Uncharted Four is going to be Drake Begins? <laughs> there was a lot of that in three. Yeah, there was yeah. The running away as, as a kid. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, when he's a little bit older and able to actually commit straight out murders. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a crossover. You know that I, I actually believed that they could exist in the same world, although they have completely different uh, takes on it. They both felt real enough. It's unfair to constantly compare the two. You know, for both of them, but. It's going to happen. It wouldn't be the first time there's been that sort of thing in the Tomb Raider games either. Yeah. There's always been a, a rival. Yeah, in fact, in, in isn't, is it the first or the second Tomb Raider film where James Bond is her mate? <laughs> Daniel Craig is literally in Tomb Raider. Not literally, that'd be hideous. Right, speaking of which, <laughs> oh, the side quests, the side tombs. Now, this is a point of contention for a lot of hardcore, old-school Tomb Raider fans who believe that they have ruined the series. Much like fans of uh, Splinter Cell were like, you ruined it! With uh, Splinter Cell conviction. Uh, by taking away the extremely punitive 
very carefully balanced stealth system of Splinter Cell, and in this case, of taking away the enforced, brain-pounding puzzling and to putting it as a side quest, which will allow you to up your experience, but aren't absolutely key to getting through. Side tombs were, gameplay-wise, some of my favourite bits of the game. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was more the fact you could take, a, take 5, 10, 15 minutes, however long it took, and just do one. I think knowing that I could at any point go, oh, sod this for a game of soldiers, and walk out of the cave and carry on with the quest made me more interested in carrying on with it and, and getting it finished uh, in, in the tombs. It was like, right, I literally only have one clever puzzle to work out here, so just use your cheese box. And there was a save point <laughs> just before it, and you could yeah. walk away. Yeah. And it was marked on the map, and you could come back to it. Similarly, Splinter Cell Conviction, the only Splinter Cell game I've ever played beyond the second level, <laughs> and actually finished. That's actually not true. I played Splinter Cell Double Agent to completion. Loved Splinter Cell Conviction. The only bit I hated, Enforced Stealth Section. Oh dear. <laughs> um, I, I really liked the, the, the way the tombs were constructed in terms of the overall context of the game, because... If she went in these grand cavernous tombs, it's like, Lara, you're trying to save someone. You'd like, like, there's a point at which I discovered a tomb, but I needed to rescue a pilot, and I thought, it would be a little bit irresponsible of me to, yeah. you know, one moment, uh, one moment, there's a really cool vase in here that I really want to look at. <laughs> <laughs> so, I probably ought to save the guy. What I was a tiny bit disappointed with the tombs, was that the, the technology in them was wooden planks and pulleys and throwing canisters on things. They didn't feel like as set old. Like they by ancient civilizations. No, no. no. And that, that was my one point of contention. It wasn't how many there were or um, how deep they were or how much of, how much of, a, of the story that they... How, how much of the game they took up. It was It was simply that... They didn't feel very like tombs. Do you I mean, know what they actually felt like the crystal maze. The boy, the boy that went yeah. round and round. He had to time that perfectly. I was like, I could imagine Richard O'Brien going, "I'm mm, thirty seconds left, <laughs> coming out." <laughs> I mean, some of them. The the first one that I. I don't know if it's the first one you come across, but it's the first one that I did, which is um, you, you go into a, a cave and there's a, a huge amount of wind flying, uh, passing through. Yeah. Uh, that's the first one that I actually went and tried. Uh, I gave it, you know, I didn't quite get there. I thought I'll, I'll get on, I'll come back to this at a later date, which I, I did after I'd finished the main game. And that one seemed much more sort of ancient civilization. Yeah. A lot of the other ones seemed to be things that the the cultists whatever had had set up it seemed very much like the first bit of the game where you're trying to get out of that cave um the very first sort of puzzle you come across and it seemed as though they settled that up and it, the crystal maze is a very good um example of what it felt like in a lot of cases it was it was very much sort of rather than being deliberately set up as a puzzle it was you know just something that they'd rigged up to do whatever it was that you were then using to get somewhere it's I really enjoyed them, but they they did seem very distinct, very separate from the main game, which as, in a way was a good thing because you could just come back and do them. You didn't feel that you didn't sort of accidentally wander in and do them. Uh, they were just very much there that you could do them or not do, but come back to them, and they were a very distinct part of the game. 
I did accidentally wander in and do one of them. (laughs) (laughs) That's what she said. But yeah, uh, but I only did, I mean, I did two overall. I did that that first one with the the wind that you mentioned, Matt, and then I did one where you had to throw some petrol cans onto a metal platform. That's the one. But I, I think for me, it's a case of anything that introduces more choice to a video game is a positive thing. With I, with the tombs being side things rather than the main point, it does kind of help that with the size being much smaller. Because the problem the old Tomb, Tomb Raider games have, and Uncharted to a point, how many ancient civilizations do we know of that were building massive, great machines with huge <laughs> stone cogs and massive? Complicated machinery. That are still working. You never all encountered a puzzle that just didn't bloody work anymore because all the ropes and all be manipulated by a single woman. Yeah. And had yeah. a Tyrannosaurus Rex behind them as well. <laughs> At some point, you just think, "Was it? Is it really this valuable? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Doesn't anybody need this after this is made? Yeah. How would they get in there in the first place?" <laughs> But if you start putting narrative sense into it, you then have to ask, who was hiding all of those keys in the police station in Resident Evil 2? That doesn't make any kind of sense. This is true. I did, there was one bit that, that did make me laugh, actually. It was very silly, but she'd just done something that involved crawling through corpses or something, and she stood up, shook herself, and went, I hate tombs! Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's another thing. We can talk about narrative dissonance all we want, and the fact that she's got to kill all these guys, but the game series that they are now stuck with is called Tomb Raider. If it's going to be a game about survival, which is as realistic as possible, and yet it's still called Tomb Raider. There is going to be a certain turnaround of her ethics and interests. They actually tried to distance themselves before they started making this game from the Tomb Raider name. Hence, Lara Croft and the Guardian of Light didn't actually have that. But there's only so far they could actually have gone with making this as realistic as possible and as grim as possible, as gritty as possible, before it started being in a completely different game series entirely. Yeah, they still they still needed the name. Yeah, you still got to raid tombs. You still got to shoot guys and, and animals, and actually not so many animals in this game. Uh, you don't have to, no. Yeah. A couple of wolves. Oh, the bit with the, the turret section with the wolves was what. The, the, it's very rare that I go, oh, now that was a good turret section, because it's become this thing that happens so. Like every action game has to have a turret section and usually has to have a stealth section. Both those kind of sections were in, in this game. And the the turret section with the wolves and the trap actually made narrative sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because she would be restricted at that point. Turret sections suck because if you got out of the turret and were able to use your ability to move around and find cover, you would be more effective, not less effective. Whereas in the turret, you're a sitting duck and it's just a case of shoot these guys in this order quickly and if you're not quick enough, we will kill you and make you do it again. In this, there was a reason why she had to stay still. And then when she... When, when, did you guys get caught in the snares? With the... Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. Upside down. Yeah. 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 Again, that made actual sense. And suddenly you were in an upside down turret section. That was a brilliant moment for me. And if you were quick enough, you could bust out of yeah. it and drop down. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and the actual... The, the stealth sections... 
usually in a stealth section enforced in a game, you're playing a character who then goes on to brutally murder people, or even worse, has been brutally murdering people for a long, long time. And you can cope with what would happen if you raise the alarm in a stealth game. So, you know, when they force you to be quiet, it, it feels like they're hamstringing you. In this, she doesn't have weapons. She can't, she can't, uh, I think at this point she might have the bow, but she can't defend herself against this many guys with guns. So it actually makes perfect sense that she would maintain that stealth. I don't know if you're, this is the same stealth section you're referring to, Alex, but there's a point where she's up against a, it's a different type of enemy, mm. and they've, they've set it up to show you exactly how hard these guys are. So yeah. there is actually a genuine threat, despite the fact that she has been handling herself up to that point. Also, the fact that uh, her again, again, it's going to be unfair comparisons to uh, Uncharted, but in terms of platforming, there's a stickiness about Nathan Drake. He's like a sticky monkey. He jumps from one sticky monkey situation to another, sticking to the wall like glue. And you know, you shimmy around, you jump to the next place, and he always obligingly looks at where you're supposed to be jumping, and like, the game funnels you through. But with Lara in this, there was less of the sense of having to line it up perfectly and geometrically and if you misplace your footing you're going to fall to your death of the earlier games but there was more of a feeling that you were actually traversing a, a, a real environment and it wasn't quite so obligingly and then you jump here I really liked the jump and grab yeah. mechanic and yeah having to make you press X sometimes but not all the time it, it made it more tense when you made a jump also, it made you feel more like you're doing it. I mean, that was yeah. that was something that struck me very early on in the game. When you do something right, they really make you feel rewarded for getting it right. Yeah. There is a fine balance that they have to strike in action games specifically, especially that that balance has to keep changing as they uh, advance. If they help you and hold your hand too much, you feel like you're not even playing a game, really. You're just nudging a button and, and a huge sequence of, of elaborate things happens and you didn't really take part. But if they give you too much freedom and allow you to completely screw up if you go in any one of the eight other directions that you could go for, then you feel frustrated, like the character that you're controlling is so stupid that they can't just lean slightly to the left or, you know, put up their hand when they should. There's that the diminished sense of survival for the character itself. It feels more like you're playing in tandem with Lara in this one, rather than just controlling a puppet. Or prompting uh, a series of quick time events, which sometimes overly controlled gaming can feel like. I think part of that, and it, it sounds really basic, but the fact that the, the graphical quality between the cutscenes and the actual gameplay, that there virtually was no different. So it, it almost felt, to me anyway, um, like there were, there were scenes where I'm fairly certain I wasn't actually controlling her as she walked along certain bits, but it felt like I was. Yeah. I'm one of those people that really liked the original Splinter Cells and the original Tomb Raider, but... I, I do think they struck a good balance between having it not be quite as automatic as, say, Enslaved or Uncharted, yeah. but but not so pedantic that it would frustrate or annoy. Um, yeah. I, I, I personally would like something slightly more involved. Like uh, the, the best climbing for me was when you had to jump between the icy walls and then press X and like to actually hook hook in. Yeah, that that felt really good because. It wasn't simply that the jump ended when, uh, after you'd pressed A to, to leap, it was actually, 
you, you actually felt two points of interaction, the leaping off and the grappling on. So if you felt really connected to the wall when you did hit that button. I think they got the balance right. Had they made it more pedantic, then I, I can imagine there have been more size on this podcast if we talked about the platforming. Yeah. The original Assassin's Creed, Altair, would never leap out into space if he if he would you know really hurt himself or even die from falling that way but he had in the to second really try yeah he had to really like push him and almost trick him into doing that Ezio had no such compunction and you could throw yourself into uh, space that actually felt more like well you did jump into space that was you <laughs> so Assassin's Creed 2 actually uh, they did handle that, um, that that's a, a nice balance actually Every, every other character in this game is, is simply there as a, a means of, of moving the plot along. This yeah. game is entirely about Lara and what happens to her, yeah. which, which is basically the, what the environment does to her, what the, 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 the people she's up against do to her. Mm. But the individual characters there are, are really fairly irrelevant. You, they're only there because, like, almost because people expect them to be there, and she needs to have someone to fight for. Yeah. But she's fighting for her friends. Who those friends are isn't really particularly relevant. There is a slight sense of sisterhood with Sam, the uh, mm. the, the princess who gets kidnapped and taken to another castle, and they keep moving her as well, different castles. I, it wasn't a million miles away from Noriko and Kai, which Rihanna Pratchett had a hand in as well. Uh, the finale, actually, this isn't a spoiler, it's more about the mechanics, really impressed me in terms of yeah. the fact that maybe one in ten games, action games, has an ending which is well-balanced and doesn't punish the hell out of you and frustrate the crap out of you. The end of a game is supposed to do one of two things, or possibly both of them. One, call upon all of the skills that you've learned throughout the game and make you do them one after the other very quickly, sometimes in tandem in a cocktail. And two, make you feel like a god. Now, some... Like, for example, the end of the Chronicles of Riddick, when you get into a giant walking tank and stomp all over the competition, that that actually was, uh, I felt, a, a well-handled ending, because it didn't hold... It. Sometimes it feels like a, a game is holding the ending way up high in the air and pressing its other hand against your forehead and going, can't get it, can't get it, and then... Because usually you handle the, the ending very, very late at night or in the wee hours of the morning, so your patience is gone. You just want it over with. Um, but even though that actually happened for me this time, I, my patience didn't go anywhere. I actually was, was compelled the whole way through. There were a couple of times, however, when I couldn't beat certain enemies or get through certain action sections and, and started doing a technique I'm actually going to adopt in other games when I start getting frustrated. Turn the sound off. If you aren't hearing the same start of an action sequence over and over again, that sense of having to repeat it over and over again is diminished because you're removing a whole sense from that particular scenario. You can just judge carefully by uh, the, you know, the timing that you've already learned throughout the game and what's happening on screen. And by and large, I got through very, very smoothly once I turned the sound off. I do that every now and then as well because I tend to play on with headphones on. Yeah. So take the, take the headphones off. Try again. The soundscapes can be sometimes overwhelming, the amount of uh, stuff you're being bombarded with. And that's a good thing, because it really it puts you in the moment. I did adopt that trick after you suggested it, though, and it, it was brilliant for getting me through a couple of places that I, I was just absolutely jammed on. Because otherwise, sometimes it feels like you're almost arguing with the game. 
You're going. I've Why? done this. Let I've me through. Come on. <laughs> you you do know we can't progress unless you let me do this, the, right? <laughs> one of us is going to have to back down on this one, and it ain't going to be me, sister. I learned that trick in the uh, Max Payne maze of the crying baby. Oh god! Oh, the, the one where you have to walk along yeah. a tightrope of blood. Yep. Uh, <laughs> that was, and then when, if you there was constant crying anyway, but if you fell, the the crying went really loud. It was horrible. Volume off. It, it's it's almost to the detriment of the people who spent so long getting the soundscapes uh, worked out on this game, and the amount of effort that went into them to say, look, we had to basically just rule you out of the equation at this point just to get through. Well, no, because was it you, saying you guys did too well? Yeah, I mean, you, it, it's not as if you do that the first time you go in there. You listen to it the first two or three times, and it's then not the like the music to Final you, Fight. Yeah, you, you start to think after a while. I know this. I've heard this. Yeah. Enough. It might be simply because it's actually very uh, lenient in terms of deaths. They put you back almost exactly to the same place you've been through before. Oh, that's wonderful. But the flip side of that is that you hear just the same sequence of sounds that you heard two seconds ago before you died. So if you die three times, suddenly it seems like you're crazy and going through the same thing over and over again. It's like Groundhog Day. But the, the, the music was... Stirring, there were, it, it never really made, you know, jammed in my head that this is an incredible theme and I want to hear this again and again. Not, the, if you guys remember the, the Tomb Raider legend theme, that's really stuck in my head there. That, and of course the original Tomb Raider theme from 1996. It's wonderful. And in fact, if you listen very carefully to the piece of music I'm going to play at the very, very end, you will actually hear that, which actually, uh, I've listened to a lot of the themes throughout the series. Uh, for the purposes of this podcast, and that turns up repeatedly.
any more one sound or, or look. Oh, it's very refreshing. It yes. is gorgeous. <laughs> it really is. If, if somebody told me this was next gen, uh, you know, if it was running on a PS4, I would believe them. Of course, I know nothing about what the PS4 is capable of. It seems a far cry from, say, uh, Bloodstone, which we were watching uh, yesterday, showing the um, those horrible rubbery mannequins based on actual real-life actors you know. There's no excuse for that, but performance capture they have they have used here. It's not for the first time in the series. Apparently, Underworld they also use performance capture, uh, but th- this is the the way that if all big budget uh, AAA games start adopting this level of detail, this level of fidelity, uh, it will raise the bar. Yeah, th- this is the the first of this kind of game I've played since I upgraded my PC. Ah, yes. so I played it on the PC. And yeah, okay, I can't run it on top-end settings, but still gorgeous to look at. Did you switch on the fancy hair effects? I did, and got about two frames a second. So I turned it off. <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> Sharon, you mentioned uh, that. Fancy, just too fabulous. Fancy hair effects and tails. Effect. But when you're upside down in the game normally, your oh, ponytail yeah. hangs down, your but not your bangs. Up, but your fringe is still dead straight and pointing northwards. Pointing at the ceiling. It's astonishing. Yes. But apparently, so yeah, if you, if you turn on the hair... It all goes down. <laughs> it, it all goes down. Turn on the hair. Fancy hair effects is our Eurythmics cover band. Turn on the hair. I'd love to be able to just toggle it on and off and just watch her hair go up and down. <laughs> Someone it's, YouTube uh, that. I'm, my it it dipped a couple of points, but I could for the most part run the whole run it on ultimate, and it's astoundingly good looking. Yeah. Um, Although not without glitches, there was the odd like door or wall that would fade in and out and flicker on and off, but nothing too awful. Only terrible glitch I encountered. I was jumping around in the shanty town looking for treasure. I sort of fell a little bit too far and a little bit too fast through a slight aperture between two planks and ended up inside a completely sealed off shack. I should never have been inside. Oh! So I stared around and went, "There's no door." <laughs> and they got me. They got Lara Croft. She basically starved to death in there. So. <laughs> it's like you've got a shotgun. There is a flimsy wooden wall next to you. But she no. could frankly kick her way out through that. Yeah. Uh, so that was just a quick reload. Not, not an issue. Oh, one more thing on the look that was it, it was a good move of them to have that when you pressed uh, L1 and all the. Uh, all the the detail would bleed out yeah yeah is it the game is so lush and because a lot of the things that you interact with are sort of are physics based it's it's kind of hard to filter out what is what is interactive especially at the start and so being able to just bleed it out and see which bits like especially in a puzzle room say oh that's interactive that's interactive I need to do something with those two things yeah it it was very useful um it was also useful in the stealth because it solved the problem of knowing that if I shot that guy, would someone react? Because if they were red, if you shot someone, someone else would notice. But if they were yellow or white, um, no one would notice. And it was a, it was a really elegant system for the stealth that was concise and it was. Brilliant. I didn't even notice that. That's yeah, it's, it's, I didn't notice. I hardly used it, it instincts at all. Yeah. It was a, it was a good way of doing it. Uh, it also meant that you could t- 
time things because there'd be people who'd be having a conversation they'd stop yeah. their conversation at which point they would go back to being um, yellow mm. yeah. and if you left it for too long they might start I think they start talking again they go back yeah, to they red do. so you'd know who would be available to take out at which point which allowed you to, mm. to approach things in a different way uh, it was perhaps a little bit overly used at times there was a few times where you'd, you'd, you'd hit LB and it would just the, the whole place would light up like a Christmas tree and everything mm. you, yeah. that you could possibly want to know was highlighted to you and I think perhaps they could have toned that down perhaps a touch but um, for most of it I, I didn't have a problem with that uh, I, w- I found I was using it much the same as I used the um, uh, the sonar goggles in, in Splinter Cell I was just flicking them on and off yeah. as I mm. ran forward because as soon as you moved it would it would um, it would it would, cu- it would uh, cancel it out yeah. so I was kind of I was kind of pulsing it almost which uh, was was just really put me in mind of, of uh, Splinter Cell Conviction not the only thing there was a few points that, that did as well actually it was um, definitely yeah. that actually does bear it looked incredible yeah. as well definitely Maybe more elegant look- than say Detective Vision in Arkham yeah, which you could just yeah. leave on the whole time if you wanted to and would yeah. make the whole thing seem surreal. There was one time when uh, two enemies were standing on one side of a river having a loud, long conversation with another guy stood on the other side. The one guy on his own got an arrow in the face and fell down yeah. face first, <laughs> and the other guy just sort of left off the conversation, staring across the river <laughs> as if to say, <laughs> and they didn't react. And I was like, um, fire arrow in the back of that guy? <laughs> But uh, I, I didn't think that's taken me completely out of the game. I was just but, nice exploit. That's the thing. I because I did the same thing as you, but they did notice. So oh they, yeah, no. The first time I did it, they did notice. The second oh. time, for some reason, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they're just they very drunk by that point. But they were still in the middle of conversation because I remember they didn't actually reach the end. Uh, Maybe I just reacted so quickly after that point that they were going to go, huh, Charlie? I did use the um, the instinct vision. Um, quite a bit to check to see which corpses I looted yet. Which <laughs> <That's ghoulish. laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I just had a D&D flashback. <laughs> and there were occasional times when a bunch of very, very slow-moving shotgun-wielding enemies would move towards you down a corridor, again, absolutely chock full of red barrels. <laughs> and uh, I th- th- it's not a massively challenging game. The uh, The ability to use the instincts and the fact that it never really leaves you puzzling over any one thing uh, for any particular length of time uh, leads to, gives you a pacing which allows you to just propel yourself through the game in a weekend which is great but I do feel that if I'd spent £40 on this straight away I rented it but if I'd spent £40 on this straight away I would then end up leaning on the multiplayer to make up for you know, possibly uh, you know a few more hours worth of gameplay that would have made, meant it, uh, it. It felt like a complete package. I don't think multiplayer is mandatory. I think developers these days, and especially publishers, consider it to be something that must be bolted onto a game, otherwise it doesn't have any shelf life. I think if you're looking in terms of, of level of challenge, though, that depends very much on the player. I mean, I. I burned through it extremely quickly compared to how long it normally takes me to get through a, a game of this level, um, which is usually I just don't finish them because they take me that long. You did um, have me breathing down your neck saying it's going to be taken back to Blockbuster. Say, I was just about to say the fact that it was a rental meant that there was that impetus to get it done and you were giving me lots and lots of time to play it, which I don't normally have. But I, I did not feel unchallenged and I played it on easy. 
not so much that it's not challenging. It's not a difficult. It is not a difficult game. No. It is, it no, is just enough challenge for you to feel compelled to keep going. You die just enough to feel that if that you could screw up at any moment. It's not a, cake it's a dangerous place. You can't, you, you can't just go in and breeze through it, but at the no. same time, it's not ridiculously frustrating and, um, you know. If you go charging into a group of guys just wielding the pistol, you will die. Yes, and you know that that's going to happen. Yeah. And so, hopefully, you avoid doing it. But neither do you end up just being able to run rings around them. There is a certain amount of, uh, draw and push in the combat, which, let's face it, is going to be a big, big chunk of the actual game. And enough places to explore. And Jerome, did you see 100% of it? Yeah. What kind of hours are we talking about to go back and find every single little cachet? See, this is the problem. The way I played it, it, I, I'd done everything by the time I did the last level, so. Oh, right. Um, it's not that long. I'm the worst person to ask. I mainly play GRPG, so time (laughs) thing. I don't tend to look at how long I've played. If it's not 70 hours, then it's, uh, (laughs) it's light. Well, I've, I've not 100%ed it, but I've got 10 hours. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the main what story, if you, if you don't, if you collect a, f- a few bits and bobs, I'd say probably 10 to 12 hours. If you, if you, I've got everything, and I wouldn't say it was any more really than sort of 15 or 16, I wouldn't have thought. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I've, I've got a couple of extra tombs. I've done all yeah. the optional tombs, but that's it. That's the, a lot of the optional things you do end up seeing and getting as you go along. Yeah. It's just, there's more smaller things like the, totem things and the lighting the statues yeah oh yeah that, it, that actually bears a lot in common with Resident Evil 4 again the mm. uh, uh, making sure that you've ticked off all these boxes in each zone uh, and, and a lot of the um, extras and pickups and, and GPS devices it's more a case of right it's over there how do I get over there yeah which again plays in with the puzzling so it's they've kind of made all of the puzzling aspects of it except for a few you know sometimes quite head scratchy ones Optional, which again I think is uh, a masterstroke in terms of pacing. It's possible that because they made it all optional, that's why it feels like just such a, a straightforward. You can race through this thing. If they forced you to think about it, it there would be a slight more a sense of staggering. And I suppose it's because if you can set your own pace for going off and doing the side quest stuff, yeah, you don't feel like the pacing has slowed down. Uh, you know, away from your control, you decide. When you're like, you know what, I need a breather from murder. I need to just go back and see if I can find some pickups. Yeah. So that's I, kind of why I've not got all of them yet, is yeah. that I got swept up in the plot, and yeah. to do that would have stopped the pace for me. So that, but I played through it in about three sessions. So <laughs> That's the thing. I, I sort of role-played it, and whenever there was sort of a lull in sort of intensity, I did go and do the optional stuff. Okay, before we finish and talk about continuing the series, um, I'm going to say at this point, spoiler warning, because uh, we're going to be talking about things that that you might not that might not bother you unless we mention them. In which case, they might bother you a lot more because you'll notice them a lot more. So, if you haven't played the game, I'd go away now and come back. And it's not going to be much more than say ten minutes from the end of here. But uh, we'll see you again next time. Okay. So, question is, what did we not like about the game? Um. Uh. The one bit that countered my 
this game is totally not frustrating at all thing um, was the uh, Zangief character that you had to shoot the shit out of towards the end. The, the very, very end. The, yeah, uh, I had to do the that Oni. Oni. over and over and over and over again. Uh, Did you not have to practice with the earlier guy on the ship? It's the same. You could sidestep that though with yeah, that explosives. Didn't me, oh, right. Yeah, that didn't take me very long at all. I think I, I yeah, I blew him up with something, and it was it was over. <laughs> grenade launcher. I think <laughs> on the third attempt on the Oni, I had to turn off the sound, but it wasn't hugely difficult but I could see why that uh, he doesn't go down without a really serious fight so it, uh, he's the final boss yeah mm. oh yeah and no, I, I, I accept the fact mm. that that's you know an inevitable part of it and it, it didn't it wasn't so frustrating that it lifted me completely out of the game in fact it, it, in a way it reinforced Lara's character development for me a bit because because I, I kind of found I had to sit there and almost taunt him to get him to come towards me yeah. and just yeah. hold my whatever weapon it did was. Did you try just shooting him in the face with the AK-47? Uh, I did, but I kept running out of ammo. I only ah. had a tiny bit of ammo for the AK-47 when yeah, I got see, there. Yeah, see, if you so have loads doing... of ammo for that and I'd yeah. prepare with that, then it's a lot easier. Okay. Yeah, I, I ended up basically having to shotgun him in the shoulder a lot of the time yeah, and it, it yeah. took a while. But because she had to basically sit there with the gun eye to eye with him, it, it oh. did actually felt like uh, it did actually feel like that was part of her character growth that she was yeah. now defiant about it. But at the same time, he's a demon, so it didn't really break the narrative too much to have to fill this guy full of lead and he's still coming. No, the earlier well, guy on the ship, oh. I shot him in the face, the eye, repeatedly with my pistol, and he kept coming. It's like, no, no, he would really be dead at this point. I don't care how much muscle he has. But, I mean, it didn't really bother me that much, but it, it did seem a bit of a rigmarole of, right, now you must do this same thing three times. But I suppose it was training for the Oni. Mm. And the actual Oni themselves, this is not something I didn't like. In fact, it's something I really did like. The uh, the section where you get attacked by a load of them just before you get to this final climax, and they've all got swords and they're bearing down on you and you're in another kind of shantytown area. Uh, I've just unlocked a bunch of the sort of close proximity kills. Yeah. With the AK-47 on that, that, I felt so elegant and deadly, just sort of gliding around between them. It was like, you know, any second now I could get killed, but at the same time, she can really handle herself at that point. I was still using bow and arrow for that. And oh, nice. You it, it, it felt even more satisfying whenever they'd run up to me. I'd shoot them in the knee, then stab them with the arrow. <laughs> sound like angry <laughs> Sorry, that sounded a bit too intense, didn't it? Well, no, ultimately, we spent the entire game being um, being picked on and being shot at and being made a victim, and now is the, the very end is your time to go, no, you know what, I will not be the victim. So it's kind See, of... It's important. I, I constantly found myself going, you, just you wait, I'm going to get you, you know. It does, doesn't matter, you can try and run away from me, I'm going to get you. Um, other things that other people didn't like? Sliding down waterfalls and rivers. A few too many of them, wasn't there? <laughs> Just a few. The first couple were fine, and then there was one really long one. Where you kept that... getting paled on the same bit of uh, yeah. twig. Yeah, it wasn't, or you'd there was get two... past one, and then you'd hit another bit and get impaled yeah. again, and have to go back to the first that one again. That was a turn-the-sound-off moment for me. <laughs> yeah, it, I don't think there was... It wasn't there was too many of them for me, but some of the ones there were were too long. It yeah. was... Because, um, I mean, I, I think that, that kind of fit in fairly well, because you just the kind of thing that would happen. You fall over, you would disappear down, well, down a, she a, a river the, or whatever. She starts the game at a mountain and then spends the rest of the game falling down that mountain. <laughs> <laughs> 
She's yeah, there's gonna be at the Earth's core by the end. <laughs> but there's that, that one long, long, long section where you're you're being carried away by the river that just goes on and on and on. Yeah. That was just that was... after you get the shotgun. Yeah. Yeah. And that was too long. But um there isn't really anything I don't like about this game. It's not yeah. perfect, but it's really, really good. I enjoyed this pretty much start. There was nothing I, I really even got that frustrated with, to be honest. Yeah. It's very compelling. It's the, only, it's the only brilliant thing I can think of. It's not even that I don't like it. I just feel there wasn't a need for a Disney multiplayer. Mm. I've not even looked at it. It didn't have a bit it's, it's not dissimilar to the Uncharted multiplayer. Ultimately, that's not a bad thing. And the fact that this exactly. is like Uncharted isn't a terrible thing for people who've only had a 360 this generation have been unable to get to the, the works of Nathan Drake. The multiplayer is very much, if you like it, it's a bonus. If you don't, doesn't really matter. David, you were going to say something? Um, it's it's not so much a point of discontent, but the it's there's a lot of disparate things going on in this game, like yeah. the XP system and the salvaging system, and they're both both of those are quite abstract. Like, and I'm not sure how much they fit. That it's weird because they work very much for this experience, but I'm not sure if they'd work in a sequel. I was going to say, no, save that for the continuing okay. the series, because that is actually a question I was going to ask. Yeah, okay, great minds think alike. My bone of contention with the film... <laughs> film, there you go, Freud! <laughs> <laughs> My bone of contention with the game is that there's four guys, and they keep getting repeated over and over again. There's beardy yeah. guy, there's disheveled guy, there's swarthy guy, and then there's filthy guy. And but- you... Uh, like sometimes filthy guy is has got a backpack with liquor in it and he throws glo- flaming bottles at you. Sometimes there's a guy with a bow and arrow, but they're all the same guys. And they act the, the production team. I've, I've actually heard people say they went out of their way to make them not seem just like the same guys, like they have a purpose on the island. And you know they're in a cult, so occasionally when you kill one of them, you say he killed my brother, but they never go Steve. <laughs> you never get the sense that, that they care about each other on a personal level or that they even have names or mothers or anything like that right. there's no short ones there's no Chinese ones there's no uh, women Native American there's no women there's no children there's no, um, if you sh- if you had like a 14 year old kid running at you with a, an AK-47 and you shot them and that was like a scene where like after you'd shot them Lara would just like went down on her knees and wept at the fact that she'd just done this terrible thing and that's what this cult was was doing not exclusively but that this child had been on one of the cruises and it ended up at the you know at, at you know being killed by Lara and just this sort of awful situation but I think they kind of didn't want to dwell too much on what she was doing and so unfortunately making them just these same four white guys with different facial hair uh, seemed like a bit of a cheat I will say they did explain that any children or women were sacrificed oh that's alright then um, yeah um, no it's yeah, alright it it <laughs> they did make, it. <laughs> it would make sense that they, they would be a cult who would only prize strong men mm. and all the White that's the, any, any, anybody in the cult would dehumanize. That's literally what Matthias went yeah. for. Anybody went against them was actually killed. Yeah. 
And unfortunately, the only people who went with them were all a, a, a series of 82 identical quintuplets. Yes. I, mean, <laughs> I, I looked at the extra couch models, and there are actually four name guys, but I couldn't tell them apart from any of the other characters. But, I mean, again, Uncharted is exactly like this. Most of the Bond games are exactly like that. Gears of War, all of those locusts, you know, if you actually put lined them up side by side, there's really only like six of them. None of them are called Steve either. No. This is something that's actually a byproduct of all shooting games. And I th- it's, it's unfair of me to level this at Tomb Raider and say, right, you got to give every single one of these guys a backstory, <laughs> even if we never find out about it. I want you to do months' worth of work on this. It's, it's unfair of me to ask that. But at some point in the future, I would like a shooter to yeah. actually start doing something like that. It's, it's the same in all games, though, even RPGs. Yeah. Yeah, if you look at Mass Effect, you've got your Blue Sun set and all that lot. I think I'll probably last this in the Mass Effect episode. You know when you stop that guy going in to try to take out uh, Garrus, and you can actually suggest that he take a hike instead? Um, if you don't do that, does he end up in the attack party and you end up killing him? Yes. Yeah. God, I love Mass Effect. <laughs> <laughs> Was that just a reason for you to say you love Mass Effect? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look to Do Mass you need Effect. a reason? Sorry, I think that could be solved or, or solved to some degree by having less enemies that are more difficult to take down because yeah. it, mm. they did seem to be quite easy to take out. And there were a lot of them. There was a lot of people on that island mm. that, or, that were All to begin with. Anyway. <laughs> there, there, weren't, there weren't at the end. There was none of them left. But to begin with, the amount you see and the amount you, you take out, there's a lot of people on that island. Uh, and having less enemies that are more difficult to take out, I think, would perhaps be... Um, something they could look at for, for future installments. That would be good. More cunning enemies. That, you know, mm. just like, like one guy who takes up intelligent positions and won't let himself be killed. As in, he won't just poke his head out obligingly for you to shoot off, then retract it, then poke it out, then retract it, until you finally do kill him. In fact, if you played Metal Gear Solid 3 and you face down the end, I'm thinking a lot more enemies like that would be, well, it'd be more time-consuming, but it'd be quite thrilling as well to pit your wits against someone who wouldn't go down easy yeah mm. I'd be totally for that whatever happens the next one will be a next gen game and, and who knows what they'll be able to do with the, the new hardware they may they may be able to, to have randomly generated character models that, that just make little changes here and there in height and who knows called Steve I, called with, with, with little name badges hi my yeah. name is Steve hi my name is Rob <laughs> that would be great you know and you can go and I'll see your you bastard today. his kid just made the little league team <laughs> any more things you guys didn't like or should we move on to how they could continue this Sharon you were going to say something weren't you uh, I was but Jerome actually made the almost the exact same point I was going to make they do they specifically Sorry. refer to no 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 don't apologise um, they specifically refer to the fact that basically every female that's ever set foot on the island has been subjected to this ritual and they've always got killed at the fire stage um, and as a result it's all gone a bit Lord of the Flies well isn't that just convenient <laughs> means Lara never has to kill a woman well one woman she, yeah, well, although she's already dead, technically. I, I will say uh, the holding off on the two-gun thing was a really good idea because the two-gun thing, suddenly you're, you're back into the crazy John Woo territory. But they did I, tease it a few times. Yeah. I did. I also liked the fact that they magic is real. Okay. I, one of the things that sometimes I had a bit of issue with Uncharted is not, there's no 
actual magic. It's always just there's a reasonable explanation. That beast isn't a beast. It's a guy in a suit. Mm. <laughs> it's Scooby Doo. Yes, Uncharted is Scooby Doo. But in this, yeah, no, totally real, <laughs> totally magic. And, uh, Although I, I would say that Lara does come to the conclusion of, oh, well, obviously the way to solve this is to go and stick a stake through the heart of that corpse. I think yeah. she got there a little bit quickly. Although she took ages to work out that it was about soul transfer. It was like, you know, have you not seen yeah. films yeah, about yeah, demonic really possession, obvious. for God's sake? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's yeah. the same way that people don't cotton onto zombies um, unless they are in Shaun of the Dead, where they go, don't use the Z word. What, what could they possibly want Sam for? I know what they want Sam yes. for, Lara. Why don't you know what they want Sam for? <laughs> it's a legend about a Japanese queen... The person you brought with her is an ancestor of this person. Oh, Jesus. Ah, I wonder what they want her for. Is that the plot of Big Trouble in Little China? <laughs> <laughs> I could be wrong, but I think it might be. I'm fairly certain it has been. It's, it's the mummy. It's definitely the mummy. And clearly Lara Croft has not watched the mummy. Which you think she would. Anyway. Um, to continue the series, uh, David, as uh, you mentioned earlier, how the hell are they going to have the character grow in this same way again? I think the trick is she can't grow in the same way. They, Although this is a bit of a really successful game, it, they, it feels like they'll need to alter the mechanics to yeah. demonstrate that she is more confident and has learned. Yeah. Like the XP system, it, it works, but if we're suddenly dumped back and she and, and she's her back next to zero thing, again, and yeah. she goes, "Oh, and I need to survive again." Well, she's already a survivor. It needs to be the next one needs to be not about her surviving. It needs to be about her raiding a tomb of her own volition and being in control. Yeah, I, I believe the um, uh, salvage and creating tools would work well in the future yeah. series but obviously as you explained the XP doesn't quite tie in one of the creators did mention of the earlier Lara Croft that she's perfect and there's not much further you can go from perfect what, she, what can she learn what can she achieve if all she effectively will do is is, um, is get you know find the treasure we always knew she would so I, I don't know. I actually think that um, maybe uh, a continuation will be people because that was one of the weaknesses of this series. The mm. idea of being not necessarily always with people, but if she's brought a few people along and not so much that they're in jeopardy. Maybe maybe go back the other way. This whole game was all about her learning to be self-sufficient and learning how to manage on her own. Yeah. Well, maybe for the next game, put her in a position where you actually have to rely on teamwork. Not necessarily yeah. with, with other players, but with you know the characters that are in the game. You need them to do things for you. Mm. And what Lara has to do is get past the fact that she is, no, I will do this by myself. And we're in Kojima territory here. What if you play a character who is external to Lara Croft and you have to basically work with her so you learn while Lara Croft is the badass risky risky as hell because you're in riding territory there what about if you have a game where she is isolated but in pursuing something because she's so isolated that's what gets her in peril so that she ends up trapped I, I, I do think however they were to do it mechanically I would like something that was not 
a survivor story, but something to do with actually tomb raiding. It could still have lots of the beats and mechanics of this, but yeah. uh, at the end, she's come to this conclusion that magic is real, and that that could be a gateway for her to look at more perhaps real mystical things so it's a really good jumping off point for her maybe being a bit overzealous maybe getting herself in too deep because now she's overcome this because by the end of it she's come to terms with what her father was obsessed with all these years mm. yeah and she's got that sort of um drive that her father wants had and you could see her getting her, herself into those sort of situations she can't be too relaxed though if you look at iron man 2 Tony Stark was not at the top of his game in the uh, first one. He was challenged. He was on the back foot. He was desperate. Iron Man 2, he may be dying from palladium poisoning, but he's a little bit too casual the whole way through. At the end, he kills 100 drones. And that's it. Mm. Iron Man 2 has no real emotional climax. The, the actual emotional climax is about him reconnecting with his past. There is a possibility that the next Tomb Raider game could have a smattering of that in there, and, and less of a sense of real achievement for Lara. I will say this, though, in terms of story progression, please, please, please avoid romance. It's not necessary. Yeah. It would mm-hmm. kill it. That's oh, yeah. Too many action-oriented things always feel that there must be some sort of romance involved. Yeah, and, and you are absolutely going to thwart any sense of this is an empowered woman who is doing this stuff because she enjoys it, it's it's part of who she is. You kill all that if you then go, oh, and look, here's a, a boy that she loves who's been kidnapped and she has to go and rescue him. Spoken like a true Tokyo Pop music manager. In that oh, yeah. Tokyo... Yeah. <laughs> People, Sorry, I'd forgotten young, young men like to think that they can they can have Lara for themselves and if she's with someone else. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd say more, you, you just lose the essence of her being a strong character if, if she's, you know, constantly having to run around this div who can't look after himself. Yeah. What if he's a div who can look after himself? Slightly different. As a slight amendment to this, somebody posted on the forums today that it's very, very rare you get to play a solo female character where you don't also have the option to play a man who gets into a relationship with a man. Even the best female solo characters tend to either not have a relationship with anyone or tend to have a stronger relationship with a woman, like, for example, Kai and Noriko in uh, Heavenly Sword. Uh, Lara Croft, nobody at all. Now, my theory is that this is something that would make teenage boys very uncomfortable. Not necessarily seeing a boy kissing a girl, but being a girl kissing a boy. And to effectively end up finding themselves forced to do this could hurt the sales of the game. If there is going to be a romantic relationship within the story... It needs to be somebody who is as strong and as well-rounded and as solid a character as, say, for example, Elena in the Uncharted series. The way I was looking at it was that if you add romance to a strong, independent, uh, tough female adventuring character, then it basically becomes a hamstring. It's something that's tacked on. Uh, something that you is... You get the male equivalent of the bit of fluff. Exactly. Just um, something that's there because you you can't have a female in a story without there being some romance involved. 
But clearly, since this is unproven ground, something needs to be done towards this. Something needs to actually put the teenage boys in this position and say, you know what? This character also has a life outside the screen. Maybe so. I mean, I still don't necessarily think that a uh, romantic subplot is the only way to do that. I'm not saying it's the only way. No. Just not only not close the doors on that, but actually at this stage, frankly, positively encourage it. Indeed. I will still stick to my original theory of don't tack it on. He can't be a bit of fluff. Just because a girl in a video game doesn't seem whole unless she's got a boyfriend. No one thinks that. Okay. Well, then that's okay. <laughs> no, no one thinks that. Quite the opposite. Like I said before about the uh, the Tokyo Music Manager, the idea is to keep them as single as possible so that young boys can feel that that character is theirs. That's more objectifying than giving them a person in their life. Maybe so. Um, I mean, all right, on the flip side then, are there a number of... Uh, male solo video game characters who don't have a, um, it's, a female opposite number. It's very rare that you will you will play a character in a video game at all who is married and has been married for quite some time. Uh, John Marston in uh, Red Dead Redemption immediately springs to mind, but it doesn't happen all that often either. Most teen movies don't tend to focus on married characters either because there's the fear that a teenager won't relate to them, they're still pandering to this teen audience and giving them new relationships to look at, usually saving the girl or getting the girl in some way. Mm. Although I think that the uh, relationships are often a good way to examine who characters are and how they behave towards others. Mm. Um, and ultimately, if you have a male character, then for balance, it makes sense to have the other person or other people, some of the other people that they interact with, be female. Um, and so it would be logical to assume that the reverse would also be true. I mean, you know, Master Chief has Cortana. Um, you know, I know she's an AI, but ultimately she is represented as female and she is for a reason. She's more his anima. Mm, yeah, but that's, I suppose, one way that you look at central characters, how they interact with the other side of themselves. To be continued, folks. <laughs> this is a pretty weighty subject. Alex did come off as uh, a little bit hapless and the point where he's like just leave me I'm like oh for god's sake I just spent ages getting in here really ages getting in here <laughs> could you not have told me you were in this position and then I could have just not bothered I will gamely cut your leg off at this point <laughs> if we must that totally should have been an option no. have you seen 127 hours yes yes <laughs> Take this widget. It's more important than me. Bye. Also, it's a screwdriver and a spanner. They went all that way for a <laughs> screwdriver. I just think, yeah. sake, yeah. Uh, I, I did think that perhaps there were better tools, surely, on that boat somewhere. Yeah, you could rig that. Christ, yeah. use your climbing axe. Another hole they could fall into is the Metroidvania. Lara Croft enters a fray with all of her gear and equipment intact oh. and then loses it all. And then she must reacquire it slowly bit by bit. Even Arkham Asylum did that. Although he didn't lose it, he was just, you know, he went to his secret bat cave no one knew about and slowly found bits of it. Well, they do that in this. You get all your weapons taken away. Yeah. Well, yeah, but it's, no, it's slightly different. Metroidvania games, you literally start fully, like, overpowered just to give you an idea of what you're working towards and then you go back to square one. Ah, right. Yeah. 
Castlevania type uh, type things. It's um, you know, getting your weapons taken away is kind of a, more of a staple of the action game. It's it's only a temporary thing. You just got to find out what cupboard they're in. But uh, the Metroidvania games, they literally they apportion out the items and get you to learn how to use them each at the same time. And a lot of the time, they open doors to new areas. Other M was the worst one. Yeah. <laughs> Shadow weapons just need to be authorized to use them. I was gonna say there's also the the trap that the earlier Tomb Raiders fell into. Mm. Which this, I can I can see them going that way with this and they probably shouldn't. Mm. Is not having one location. Jet setting around the world. Yeah. Yeah. Oh god. You know what? Because you lose the focus. So that's what I was I was gonna say was that I I don't. I don't really know what they should do, but what they shouldn't do is simply go back and do a, a, the same thing they've done with all the other yeah. Tomb Raider games. Because all of them, although some of them were better than others, all of them had that same thing. You have your different locations around the world, and you follow your clues, or pretty much all of them. And I would. I don't want them to do that. I like the fact that this was in one single place that you got to know incredibly well and went round multiple times I'd rather they did something like that again had it on a, in a specific place than, than went back to the old way they've even got on Charted going, 2 and 3 went around the world yeah and they've got to avoid doing that otherwise there's just no point doing it because we've had loads of games that do exactly the same thing you can just go back and play the Uncharted games again if you want this but jet setting around the world they need to do something that they haven't done before that's that's my worry is they'll just go back and, and do that same basic idea again uh, they need to avoid that for the next one if you asked me in 2009 to sit down and plan out a draft for this game I, I would have jumped into it with both feet and gone, right, now here is what we could do with Lara Croft. And I could plan out something that could end up being like this game, could end up being slightly different, but it would certainly hit a lot of these beats. If you ask me right now, where do we go from here? I have not a clue. <laughs> I've got some, I'd have some ideas, but there is a far less of a straightforward, it's almost like at the end of Die Another Day, Bond had gone completely to pot. And so all they had to do was go, right, okay, let's be totally serious now and let's bring Bond back to his roots. They had somewhere they could go at that point. Uh, with Batman, he'd gone completely mental with Batman and Robin. They brought him back to his roots in the core story. The core story of Tomb Raider is shallow and ludicrous. They have nowhere to go mm. at this point. If they continue back to the core story, they're shooting themselves in the foot with two guns. I mean, you could. I mean, having multiple locations isn't isn't inherently a problem, but yeah. you'd need to limit it to maybe at three at most, which would then be three acts of the game. Something has to be very much at stake. Laura has to really care about the outcome. Maybe you could go in thinking, "Oh, this will be really cool," uh, but then by the end, it's got to be a, a race to, to 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 save something or someone. Ultimately, she has to be seen to care about something other than fortune and glory, kid. But just saving the princess or saving the life of whoever isn't going to be enough either. It has to be, again, something that changes Lara's life. The reason the Dark Knight worked so well is because it didn't have a fantastic happy ending. Or it did have a fantastic ending, but it was fantastic because it wasn't happy. It wasn't Hero Saves the Day. And he lost. There's more than enough scope for Lara to get embroiled in the adventures of her father. Maybe even travelling in his footsteps like in Journey to the Centre of the Earth. And yes, Nathan Drake always seems to be following a famous explorer. But this is so much more personal. The beauty of this game is that Lara didn't have roots before. They've now given her those. 
She's managed to uncover in this one game potential in herself. She's become Ellen Ripley and Sarah Connor and John McClane and John Rambo even in First Blood. I mean, there's so much of great 1980s movie-style characterization embroiled in her character here with contemporary sensibilities. So to just churn out an average action game for the next one is going to be unacceptable. The, the pressure is on the writers now to capitalize on the audience empathy with this strong yet fragile young woman they've managed to deliver here. Maybe, maybe if the opening of the game is her ex- exploring a tomb or, or something and her being the person that creates the problem which yeah. has to be solved throughout it. Yes. You know, she, She's the, she, she's the one that releases, like, Opens the ghost. box, yeah. effectively, yeah. Yeah, because, because in this case, that's already happened. But it would be interesting to see a confident Lara, perhaps over, slightly too confident now, go, go into a tomb and the opening, say, two hours being sort of almost traditional Tomb Raider. Like an homage. Yeah. Then what you do is, the thing that makes everything go horribly wrong and then you've still got that desperation to her but it isn't a survivor story it is narratively something pushing more forward and something where she has to grow to overcome it another thing actually they could take a leaf out of um dishonored's book wherein you don't have to kill everyone that there are possibilities of combat where you could sneak by people and actually benefit from sneaking by them, mm. or you could knock them out in various other ways. If killing was slightly more repellent to La, like she she considers this island uh, scenario to be a really terrible time in her life, and actually doesn't really doesn't want to go back to that very ugly dark place. So she actually has an aversion to killing from now on. That would be very interesting. It may just be because I'm playing it at the minute, but this is all sounding very Metal Gear Solid 2. Short campaign and then a longer campaign, stealth being an option. God, yeah. Um, events I'm possibly from the first... playing someone who's not Lara. <laughs> yeah, events from the first campaign being the cause of what happens in the second one. God, yeah, you're right. It's true. It's been done. Although, as a game, Metal Gear Solid 2 is great, although I do admit that that it is nonsense. Absolutely, <laughs> oh, complete nonsense. I hate <laughs> Big Shell. Just a lot of orange piping. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're slightly far yeah, off the point sorry. at this point. Okay, any more for people uh, with ideas for so that we could be accused of witches in a few years' time when this actually goes into effect. <laughs> She's the one that causes the problem. She releases yep. evil onto the world, yep. and that—that's not a bad. I'm liking that. Thing. It gives her responsibility, which is something that Lara Croft very rarely has. Has she ever actually opened Pandora's box in a previous game? Because if not, then maybe it's going to actually will <laughs> actually be Pandora's box. Wasn't like there a Pandora's box in one of the films? Like they said, oh, this is the box that could feasibly be caught. Like, like oh, Cradle of, no. of Filth was that one. I watched the first one. I don't remember box. anything about it, and I never bothered with the second one. So, yeah, so I guess the second one. It was the second one. Brilliant. Okay. Oh, there we go. That's that. Well, we mean Pandora's box metaphorically, not literally. I mean, Kratos has done Pandora's box literally already. Well, actually, he's done it three times. Hang on. <laughs> God, that sounds terrible. <laughs> okay. I hope he showered in between. <laughs> I hope she did. <laughs> and we have descended into filth. 
which interestingly is what Lara does. Did any of you guys leap into space fully expecting to grab hold of the rope and then find yourself falling to your death? Yes. <laughs> God's yeah. sake. I, I do. I, but I, it was sound. my fault. I didn't wait for the green A button. Yeah. It's going to sound horrible, but I kind of miss her scream from the original. That does sound horrible. That, does, that is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> the whole space thing, isn't it? Oh, she's drowning. You can't swim, you yeah. big titted bitch. <laughs> no, it made me feel like drowning things. But I also miss the saying no. Like it made, it no. made me. No. Yeah, I don't miss that in the fucking slightest. <laughs> no, neither do I. <laughs> Jesus, it made me laugh God. every time. Every time it happened, it made me laugh. You must be better, you clearly better at these games because it happened to me all that it was just no, <laughs> yes. no, no. Just shut the fuck up! Uh, you know what I don't miss? Dragging enormous cubes around. <laughs> yeah. Or rolling stone balls, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Or being crushed the first time by a stone ball because they don't give you a chance. Yeah. And then you restart way back and then you're meant to know. That, that was very cheap. You know what I don't miss? Having those checkpoints that you had to literally initiate yourself when you had a very, very finite number of them. Oh god, yeah, the and blue the save system. The blue diamonds was terrible in the original. Well, it was it was great because it made you very afraid of death. But since death happens all the time, it felt punitive. Also, yeah, the emptiness that you mentioned before. It, it, there was almost no ambience in the original Tomb Raider. You were just there was just tapping and tapping and running around in empty, enormous caverns with a terrible sense of isolation. But I, I really liked that though. That was mm. that. that oh, was no, I'm not. I'm, I'm not saying that's not a uh, good thing and or oh, no. not evocative. But there wasn't that in this game. You always felt that you were just like a few minutes away from a conversation with mm. yet another person. And she talked to herself more as well. So there's yeah. more of a dialogue, uh, internal dialogue. Um, but I think that is a good way through because I'd, uh, sitting and watching old videos of uh, even the Tomb Raider anniversary, I just like, sat with my head in my hands, going, "I would get so bored of this. Yeah. There's no character." It's 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 pure mechanics. It's just ne- navig- negotiating landscape in the earlier games. It's the reason why I never played them. Yeah. So I'm really really glad that the uh, the games are moving in this direction. Yes, they're Definitely. a lot more accessible. Yes, that the hardcore fans of the originals will be angry about it, but I'm sure most of them will accept that they would rather the Tomb Raider series kept going and that they looked for those particular. Uh, mechanics that they're, that they're after in other games that aren't necessarily Tomb Raider. It doesn't have to be. Where did I hear that? It doesn't have to be that title that you love. I think it was actually Video Gamer UK podcast. Uh, another successful reboot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Second on the heels year. of Devil May Cry. Of yeah. course, yeah. I've still got that sat here waiting to be played. Yeah. I'm playing excellent. the DLC. I have got my fingers crossed for a, sim- a game simply entitled Resident Evil. Ah, uh, that would be good. Yep. I mean, they've rebooted wow. it once. They've literally remade the original game, but I think you could do it uh, on the new consoles of the new generation uh, and and focus on what was really great about those games without the horrible controls. Don't forget the abominable acting and half a wafer thin characters and the the, the you know the, the now archaic uh, features of those games. That is all from Gonza this week. We'll be back in seven days with the second of our epic Mass Effect shows. And I'd like to thank my guests, Matt Ramsey. You're welcome. Sharon Shaw. Thank you for having me. Jerome McIntosh. No worries. Paul Gibson. Thank you. And David Merritt. Thank you. And to play us out, we have Jason Graves' finale music, A Survivor is Born.